today's reading is from Psalm 46, and that can be found on page 570 in the Church Bibles. That's Psalm 46 on page 570. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning, uh, and a uh, warm welcome from me. Uh, for those who don't know me, those who do know me, my name is Adam. I'm the vicar here at uh, St. Jude's. Thank you, Lewis, particularly because that was a change uh, to the reading at last minute. It's also a change to your regular scheduled programming. You've got me this morning. Uh, so as we look at this passage together, uh, as we take a break from our Nehemiah series, uh, let me pray again for us uh, just as we come before it. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. The Lord says, be still and know that I am God. Just before I speak, before we come before this glorious passage of scripture, let us again together be still. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. Lord, we long to know you. We long to see your name lifted high. Lord, as we come before your word this morning, would you dwell deeply within it? Would you help us to know your power and your presence in our lives? In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. It's a fantastic psalm. Thank you, Lewis, again for reading it to us. Uh, and it's a great psalm to be thinking about this morning on uh, Remembrance Day. It's known as the Soldier's Psalm, and it was used in the World's War. There is records at, uh, the be- on the beaches of Dunkirk uh, with the soldiers awaiting rescue of a chaplain leading those soldiers through this psalm in order to give them hope. 
Uh, it's not the first, nor indeed the last time that it's been used. At the end of the English Civil War, Oliver Cromwell, who uh, was reluctantly made Lord Protector of England, expanded on it in his inaugural speech to Parliament. In 1750, there was a huge earthquake that destroyed much of London. And John Wesley uh, travelled there in order to offer hope, to offer comfort, and it was Psalm 46 that he shared. And more recently, on the 10th anniversary of the 9-11 bombings, at 8.46 in the morning, the moment at which the first plane hit the Twin Towers, Obama, 10 years later, read this psalm to a nation still struggling with grief. But it's not just in times of national disaster that we come across this psalm. Not that long ago, a good friend of mine uh, was diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumor, and uh, sadly died. In those weeks and months between those two things, it was Psalm 46 that she read to herself each morning and each evening. It is a psalm that can bring us hope. Hope in the national problems of the world, hope in our personal problems, in our personal issues. I think it gives us hope because of three things. Firstly, perspective. Secondly, because of God's presence. And thirdly, because of his power. Let's think about perspective for a moment. Uh, Forgive me if you know this story already, but there was a young woman who wrote to her mother from university. She said, dear mum, I'm sorry I haven't written sooner. My arm really has been broken. I broke it and my leg as well when I jumped from the second floor of our halls of residence. It was when we had the fire, you see. We were lucky. There was a young shop assistant, saw the blaze and called the fire brigade. They were there in minutes. And I was only in hospital for a few days. Paul, that's the guy from the, uh, from the petrol station, came to see me in hospital every day. It was taking so long to get our dormitories livable again that um, now I'm living with him. He's been so nice. I also thought you should know that I'm pregnant as well. (laughs) Paul and I plan to get married just as soon as he can get a divorce and get out of rehab. (laughs) I hope things are fine at home. I'm doing absolutely fine and I'll write more when I get the chance. Love, Susie. P.S. Mum, none of the above is true, but I managed to fail my first unit of my degree and I wanted to receive the news in its proper perspective. Perhaps not advice we'll give to our students. But all the same, perspective is so important, isn't it? When troubles come, we need to see God's perspective. We see that in this passage, verses 2 and 3. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, The significance of those verses in light of the climate emergency is not lost on me. But when they were written, their original intention as the psalmist was to lift the reader's eyes to God. The psalmist is essentially saying in as kind a way as possible, it's not as bad as it could be. The idea that the mountains might fall into the heart of the sea would have been inconceivable for the psalmist. And despite that imagery perhaps meaning something else for us, we do need, when we face troubles in life, to see them from God's perspective. How often, I wonder, do we view God 
through our problems, rather than viewing our problems through the eyes of God. When we come to God in prayer, do we firstly come to all of the stuff that's going on around us, or do we seek his face first? Perhaps you can see that from an image perspective. We first go to the things around us and look through them to God. Whereas this scripture is calling us to look to God, to then see his perspective. And what's the best way of doing that, I wonder? Well, again, the scripture here tells us, verse 8, come and see what the Lord has done. We remember his faithfulness. It's what the prophets do throughout uh, the Bible. We see it, saw it in Nehemiah in chapter 1. They remind the faithful of God's faithfulness. Remind them of what it is that he has done. When was the last time we did this? When we began our prayer times, we thanked God for all of the amazing and wonderful things that he has done in our lives. Or do we forget and simply move forward and sort of count those things as already done, no longer relevant, perhaps. When we review what he has done in our past, we can have confidence and hope for our present. When we review what he has done in our past, we can have confidence and hope for our present. Seeing it from his perspective will enable us to remember all that he has done and give us hope for what he will do. There are two short side notes I want to make here. The first is for anyone that sat there thinking, well, that's all very well and good for you, Adam, but actually, I don't think God has done all that much good for me. I don't have that history that I can thank God for. I've had so much pain in my life and misery. I can't remember what God has ever done. If that is you this morning, know this. If he never does anything more than die for you on that cross to bury the shame, the pain, the guilt of your sin, to reconcile you to God, to bring you into relationship with him, and that through his blood you are made clean, he has cancelled hell and guaranteed your place in the heavenlies, then you have a great history with God to reflect on. He has helped you. He helped you through that cross. And if he does nothing more, that in itself is amazing. The second side note is that this doesn't, stepping away and seeing things from God's perspective, abdicate us of our responsibility. God calls us to partner with him, of course. But enabling us to see things from his perspective, see things from where he is, does and can give us hope. We can also have hope, I think, through this passage, through knowing his presence in his life, in our lives. This psalm has probably the most famous verse of scripture within it. Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. You could almost see it written on swirly handwriting in a Christian bookshop window, can't you? Be still and know that I am God. And when you think about those words, I wonder how, um, how you hear them. Probably for most of us, we hear them in that very calm voice. Be still and know that I am God. Maybe from time to time, one of two of us hear it in an exasperated voice. Will you just be still 
and know that I am God. But I wonder if there is a third way in which we might hear these words as well. Many of you know I have a dog called Sammy. It's about eight years old. And a couple of years ago, a good friend of mine looked after him for us while we went away. And when she handed him back, she looked rather um, tired and said, he's like a perpetual motion machine, isn't he? He just never stops. And that's very true of Sammy. He is very, very active, loves to be uh, uh, everywhere all of the time. If I were to say to Sammy, Sammy, be still. It would have no effect on him. If I were to say to Sammy, oh, Sammy, please, would you just be still? Again, it would have no effect on him. I need to say, Sammy, be still. I need to command him. And for a moment or two, at least, it might have some effect. For some of us, I wonder if we need to hear this as a command, not just an encouragement. It's a command of God for us to be still. The words may better be better translated as cease striving or let go or stand still. However you translate them, it is a command of scripture for us to know his hope by being still. How good are we at that in our lives, I wonder? What are we expecting him to do with those times when we, when we do have them? And stillness is different to silence. But this is about focusing our energy, focusing our thoughts, our time, on, thi- on everything that we have on God. We had an opportunity to do that corporately in our 24 hours of prayer this weekend. We'll have another one in a month's time, but you don't need us to provide these opportunities. You can find them yourselves. And we have a perfect model for this stillness, for this retreat in Jesus. He continually withdrew from people, from daily life, from the life's activities in order to be alone with the Father and to pray. Luke 5, it says, Jesus often withdrew to the lonely places and prayed. And he did this specifically in times of trouble. Luke 22 is the Garden of Eden. It says he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and began to pray. Next term at St. Jude's, we'll be thinking about our discipleship of Jesus, how we follow Jesus. And our definition of discipleship, uh, the one that I most prefer, is, uh, is one by John Mark Comer. And that is that we are called to be with Jesus, to be like Jesus, and to do the things that Jesus did. I think taking this separation, becoming separate, finding our hope, finding our stillness, coming before the Lord, and being still, is perfectly modelled by Jesus in the Gospels. It is a call for all of us. If you struggle with this, let me recommend to you again this book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, again by John Mark Homer. It will help you if you struggle to find those times of quiet, if you're more like Sammy uh, than you might like to be. By being in his presence, we will know him more, and that also will bring us hope. But we also need to know his power. We're called in this passage to be still, yes, but not without purpose. God says, be still and know that I am God. He is God. Not you, not me, not anyone here. He alone is God. How often do we allow ourselves to think perhaps that we are in charge, that we are gods in our own lives? 
when I was a curate, my training incumbent, Jonathan, would regularly say to me, the role of saviour of St. Paul's is already taken. The role of saviour of St. Jude's is already taken. The role of the saviour of our families, of our friends, is already taken. The role of the saviour of our workplaces, of our homes, of our neighbours, is already taken. Bishop Hilary of Poitiers put it slightly differently by saying that most of the troubles and the worries and the anxieties that we have in this world come from our blasphemous anxiety to do God's work for him. The worries, the anxieties of this world come from our blasphemous anxiety to do God's work for him. God says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. And maybe I make this point a lot. Maybe it's because I need the reminder, and I do. But I also wonder if I'm not uh, the only one. My son, uh, Jacob, loves all things uh, movable, planes, trains, automobiles. He particularly likes uh, construction vehicles at the moment. And uh, my mum, who is in the Lake District, doesn't get to visit very often, uh, very kindly looked on Amazon for some construction vehicles to send him and sent him this bucket of construction vehicles and he got very excited when he saw the outside of the bucket so all the different pictures on the front and then he opened the bucket and discovered it looked like this I don't know whether you can see from where you are all of them are in pieces my mum's whose attention to detail is about the same as mine didn't note that it says DIY construction vehicles on the front uh, he loved it all the same, although in that moment, Jacob, who was slightly heartbroken, it has to be said, and does occasionally like to be dramatic, might possibly have felt like his heart had fallen into the sea. Excited so much by what was the prospect of what was in this box, and then suddenly met with a box of bits and pieces and screws. And he's quite a clever four-year-old. He can do quite a lot, but I'm going to be honest... He can't build these. It's not within his skill set just yet. But yet that he knew, or at least he thought he knew, that I could. <laughs> and so he came to ask me for help. And I saw this bits and bobs and things going on here. And I saw the picture and it came with instructions. And I knew what I needed to do and the order in which to do it. And so piece by piece, I built pieces of construction like this for him. He needed to come to me for help, and he needed to trust me in that. The analogy gets better, in fact, because all the time that I was making them, Jacob said, Daddy, I don't think you're doing it right. Daddy, I think you need to go there. Daddy, Daddy I think you've got this bit wrong. <laughs> How often in our lives, I wonder, do we go to God and say, God, I don't think you've got this quite right, actually. God, I think you're, you're not, actually, can you just do it this way? I think that bit needs to go there, actually, in fact. When, in fact, in the case of these trucks, I knew best. In the case of our lives, God knows best. God has that overall picture. He has that overall sight. He has that perspective. And ultimately, he has power. Jacob didn't have the power or the ability to make these at the moment. I did. There are situations that we face that we don't have the power to do on our own or to deal with but God does Ephesians 1 says I pray that the eyes of your heart 
may be enlightened in order that you may know, skip a bit, his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. He has power well beyond us, well beyond our expectation. So, when we face troubles in this world, are we looking for his perspective? Or are we constantly looking at them from our perspective? Are we, in all situations, coming first to him and seeking his face? Are we ruthlessly in search of his presence? As Brother Lawrence put it, are we practicing the presence of Jesus in our lives? And whose power are we resting in? Is it our own strength or is it in his? I wonder if you'll stand with me and I'll pray for us. going to read some verses from Psalm 46 again. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. God says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations, I will be exalted in all the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Lord God, we praise you for those truths. As we look around us and see things that need your hand, that need your power, that need your presence, we ask, Lord, that first and foremost you would help us to lift our eyes to see you that we might see things as you do. We praise you for all that you have done for us, for the many ways in which you have been faithful in our lives, but ultimately for the way in which you've been faithful in all of our lives. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Lord, we praise you that that is true. Lord, we seek your presence in our lives. We ask you to help us to be still. And we look to your power that we would, as we are still, know that you are God. In all things and in all ways, Lord, would you lift our eyes to you and would you set our hearts on your hope and your love for us. In Jesus' mighty name.